James chapter number 5. As I was praying and saying, God, what do you want me to preach on on the anniversary service, the 24th anniversary of Whitehall Baptist Church? 24 years ago, Pastor Tracy Jones and his wife Martha came into this valley. And they started the Whitehall Baptist Church. Not in this building, okay? They were on the other side of town in a small place. And they started the Whitehall Baptist Church. And after 24 years, now we live and, 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 and we're able to worship the Lord in this building. Praise God for that. What a wonderful thing. Uh, in 2006, Pastor Kevin Turman became the next pastor. And he was pastor here until 2019. And, and under his leadership, this building was built. And, and we praise God for the work of God that he did during that time. And then in 2019, the, the most awful thing took place. I became the pastor here. No, I'm just, uh, I, I'm loving it, all right? I'm having a good time. And uh, today is my fourth anniversary as pastor. And uh, I'm excited for, uh, for what the Lord has done over these past four years. And I look forward to what God's going to do in the days ahead. I believe the years of Whitehall Baptist Church are yet in front of us. And as I was praying and saying, God, where do you want me to go? Uh, you know, it's, we've been going through James, working verse by verse through the book of James. Where do you want me to go? I mean, this would be a good Sunday to veer off and go somewhere else and preach on something and, and do all these things. And, and the Lord just kept bringing my heart back and said, no, preach where you're at. And as I began to study the next, chap, the next chapter and verse that we're in in the book of James, I thought, man, what a more applicable message for our church. As we reflect back on what God has done, as we look forward on what God is, has, is going to do, and, and we're praying for God to work, what an applicable passage, what an applicable verse, and I think you're going to see just a moment as we look at James chapter number 5. If you have your Bible, you can look at it with me, or you can look to the screen. One verse, James chapter number 5, verse number 13. The Bible says this, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing Psalms. This morning, I want to preach a message that's very simple this morning. It's simply this, prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. And we're going to see how that should be the focal point of our entire lives. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we're going to dive into the scriptures this morning. Thank you, Father, for what you've done already. God, you have been so good, um, Lord, as, as we've been able to worship you, as we've been able to hear the kids recite the, the, the verses. God, you spoke to my heart already, and I just pray, God, that now as we open your scriptures and as we dive into the word of God, Lord, that you would pierce our souls, and God, we would um, have a closer relationship with you than we ever had. I pray that if somebody's here that doesn't know you as their Savior today, they'd get that settled, and uh, that they would know for sure they're going to spend eternity in heaven because of what we look at this morning. And God, will give you all the glory for it. Help me now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, has covered an array of topics in this final chapter here. He, he's dealt with the emptiness of living for things. Oh, we saw that one day that the rust of those things that they were living for would one day testify against them and show just how empty that they were. He addressed the struggle that so many were facing as, as they were being defrauded by their employers, by their bosses, as the bosses would tell them, hey, we're going to pay you this much, or you're going to work a certain, certain amount, and then you'll be rewarded for that. And then it would be held back from them, and they were defrauded by that. And then he pointed to those, the response of those believers who were being defrauded. He told them to have patience in the midst of injustice. He told them not to hold a grudge, but rather to allow God be the judge. We saw last week that he told them not to be like those who had wronged them, but to let their word actually mean something. When they said something, to actually follow through, to stick with it, not just to say something, and like is so often the case today, to say, yeah, I'll be there, yeah, I'll do that, and then just to flake away and not stand and be true to your word. He said, don't do that. 
be true. Let your yea be yea. Your yes be yes. Let your nay be nay. Let your no be no. When you say something, do it. And when you say you won't, don't. But James isn't finished yet with giving counsel to these young believers. In fact, verse number 13 could easily be read over and the point can be missed. And, and, and if, I mean, even this week as I was preparing, as I was reading this verse and just continuing on and, and, and just thinking, Lord, what do you want me to preach? I, I was, I was, at the beginning, I was, I was kind of skipping over it and the Lord just kept drawing me back to this verse. Said, no, focus here. Because if we missed this verse, it would be a terrible loss for the reader who just simply skims over it. Because the point that James brings across in this one simple verse may be the crux of everything that he has said or he's going to say. To summarize up all that he is saying into one simple verse and one practical thought. And I don't know what's a better and more encouraging and challenging verse that we could look at on the 24th anniversary of Whitehall Baptist Church. It will encompass the past 24 years it will define the last four years that God has allowed me to be pastor, and it should challenge each and every one of our lives. So join me this morning as James summarizes all that he has said into one simple verse, and let's allow God's Word to challenge us and encourage us today. In verse number 13, we see this first of all, what to do in trials. What to do in trials, he says there in that first part of verse number 13, is any among you afflicted? Is any among you afflicted? Now James, as he asked this question to these believers, he already knew the answer. He already knew the answer. He, he knew because he had just been addressing the problems that they were facing. He knew this. That, that word afflicted is an interesting word. In fact, it's not a word that we really use very much today. If you came in today and you said, Kyle, I, I've been afflicted with something, I might take a couple of steps back because I don't want to catch whatever disease that you have. All right? That would be the, the first thing that my mind would go to and, and probably you as well. We don't use that very much uh, uh, today. But when James used that word afflicted, it, it did, yes, include the idea of disease, but it was a, a broader term. The Greek word that, that James uses there is actually only found four times in this text in the Bible, and each time it is translated just a little bit different to give us a more clear picture of what this word is referring to. In 2 Timothy chapter number 2, he says, wherein I suffer trouble. There's that word, suffer trouble, he says. In, in 2 Timothy 2, 3, it's, it's, it's translated this way, thou, thou therefore endure hardness, all right? Endure hardness, he says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 5 is the fourth time outside of here in James, where he says this, but, but watch down all things, endure affliction. All right, so there it is again, the, the affliction, endure affliction. So when James uses the word in verse number 13, it's, it's encompassing all three of these definitions, suffer trouble, endure hardness, and endure afflictions, all of these things. It has the idea of suffering physical or emotional harm. Physical and emotional, psychological harm. If we could simplify it for my simple mind, it has the idea of struggle, difficulty, hardship. James asks them, are any of you struggling? Are any of you facing difficulty? Has life been hard for you? Do you feel emotionally, psychologically defeated? Are you ready to quit? 
You know what those, the, the readers of, of James's letter would have responded with? It would have been a resounding, yes, you know exactly how we are feeling. That's exactly where we are at. And then James tells them what to do in the midst of their patient struggle. <laughs> Let him pray. Just pray. Now, before you think that this is an oversimplification, uh, 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 oversimplified response to struggle, notice what James doesn't say here. He doesn't say, let him pray, and then everything will be better. He doesn't say, let him pray, and then all wrongs will be made right. Let him pray, and all emotional struggle will get better. You'll be relieved of that. That's not what he says. In fact, in verse number 13, there's actually no sign of any answer to those prayers. He just says, pray. Now, don't get discouraged this morning because what James is teaching here is something that we can easily over, overlook. He's, he's saying in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your battle, in the midst of those times where you're just ready to give, when you're ready to be, that, that you think you're just defeated and you, you can't continue on, and your difficulty, he says this, turn your attention to the Lord. Turn your attention to the Lord. What is the point of prayer? You ever thought about that? I mean, like, why? It's kind of a weird thing, right? You know, like, you're talking to someone that isn't there. I mean, like, some people would call that a lunatic, all right? I mean, that's just, you know, that's, that's kind of crazy, right? I mean, that's, 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 that's kind of what, what, it, what it seems like, right? But, but no, it's, it, when, you're, when you know Christ, it's, it's something very different. It's something very intimate. It's something very personal. No, it's, it's not just, understand, this, prayer is not just special words. We don't just say flowery words. The Bible says don't use vain repetition, just saying some words for the sake of saying words. That's, that's not what it is. It's not acknowledging uh, that, 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 that you can handle it, obviously. What are you doing in that moment? It, it, at its very root, it's acknowledging your dependence on the one who is greater than your circumstances. Recognizing that this is too big for me. God, I need you. That's what prayer is. God, I can't. God, I need you. I'm dependent on you. God, will you work in my situation? Will you work in my trial? Will, will you work in, in the things that I'm going through? God, I, I need your strength. Moses had tried to take things into his own hands. You remember there in Exodus, there he was one day, he's out there and he knows that he's a Hebrew and, and he's out there and he sees one of the guards, the Egyptian guards, beating one of the Hebrew slaves. And what does Moses do? He thinks, you know what, I, I, I'm so tired of the way things are, i got to try to do something here. And he goes over in his own power and what's he do? He kills the Egyptian guard. He's like, well, one down. <laughs> How many million more to go? You know, I mean, there's a bunch more, you know, but, you know, at least I'm making a difference. And then he finds out that Pharaoh knows, and his life is on the line. And so what's he do? He, he flees. And the Bible says he doesn't just go into the desert. He goes to the backside of the desert. I think it's just a little past Whitehall in between Butte and here, all right? I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, that's, that's where he goes to. And, and for 40 years, he's in the backside of the desert, keeping sheep. He went from the palaces in Egypt to the desert as a shepherd. One day he's out there and, and, and he's taking care of the sheep and he looks over and he sees a sight. There's a bush that's on fire. 
Now, I mean, maybe it wasn't completely uncommon in that day. There, there could have been a lightning bolt that struck and, and things would catch fire. I mean, that wasn't totally uh, uh, out of the norm uh, that something like that would happen. But what was, uh, was not normal was that when he went over there and looked at it, the bush was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't being charred. It wasn't being burned. And he noticed this. The Bible tells us that Moses turned towards that bush, and when he did, God spoke to him. God spoke out of that bush. And and we know what, what he says. God is about to give Moses the plan on how he would deliver the children of Israel God's way. But before he did, he told Moses, take off your shoes. In Exodus chapter number 3, verse 5, he said, Draw not hot nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moses, you're in my presence, and what I'm about to tell you is too big for you. Moses, you, what I'm about to tell you, it, it's going to take bigger shoes than you're going to be able to, be, to fill. Moses, you can't. But I am. Moses, can we put it this way? Moses, turn your attention from the size of your trials, the impossibilities, the things that you're not going to be able to do. And Moses, turn your attention to the God that's in charge of everything. God, I, I, I can't speak. But God said, well, don't, don't worry about it. I am. God, nobody's going to listen to me. Oh, but they will. God, I can't. I am, God says. Because I'm bigger than that. Elijah is on the top of Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal have been begging their God for fire all day to no avail. They're up there cutting themselves and doing everything that they can to try to get their, their false God to send down fire from heaven. And it's not happening. And finally they come to the end of the day and now it's Elijah's turn. And so he repairs the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He orders the altar and the sacrifice to be doused with barrels of water again and again and again. And then he prays. 1 Kings 18 verse 36 it says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel and that I am and thy servant and that I have done these things according to thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and thou hast turned their heart back again. You know, when Elijah prayed that prayer to God, he didn't have verse number 38, the next verse, where the fire came down. If you were to put yourself in that Precise moment before the fire fell down from heaven. In that moment, all Elijah had was, God, you got to do this. Please, God. Because if you don't, they're going to kill me. My life is over. God, you got to do this. you got to come through. I'm depending on you. Have you ever been there before? Not on Mount Carmel, but in your own Mount Carmel in life. Have you ever been there before? Right there at the edge of that, that, that burning bush and God speaking to your heart and you're going, God, I can't do this. 
You ever been there before at the edge of the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh's armies coming and the mountains are going into the water and, and there's deep water in front of you and there's nowhere to go? Have you ever been there before? An impossible moment, impossible situation. God, what am I going to do? you got to do something. Well, the circumstances of life are just too big for you. You're going every direction trying to figure it out. Recognize the situation is out of your control. You're overcome with sadness, with grief, with heartbreak, with pain. You're ready to throw in the towel and quit. It's in those moments that James says, let him pray. Your attention to God. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Colossians chapter number 3 verse number 2 he says set your affections on things above not on things on earth. What will it take to bring you to a place of total and complete dependence on God? God will be so good that He will allow situations in your life that will bring you to the end of yourself. To that point where you will turn to real prayer before Him. Not some flowery words. Not some phrases that you repeat. Not, not just simply checking off a box on a prayer list. But no, no, no. Real prayer before God. Romans 8 gives us a little bit of a glimpse into it. In verse number 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God in those moments where you're so broken that you can't even form words. And the Holy Spirit steps into your place and makes intercession to God on your behalf. Wow. Complete and total dependence on God. James is reminding these believers in the midst of trials, turn to Jesus. In the midst of difficulty, turn to Him. Place your dependence on Him. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. Oh, what do we do in trials? James makes it real simple. He says, pray. Pray. Turn to God. But then he goes on to the second part, and he says this, what to do in triumphs. Look again at verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any Mary? Mary. In the second half of this verse, James is right into the other half of the equation. The Mary people. 
The ones who are encouraged, the ones that are happy. Aren't you thankful for the times when things are going well? You may be sitting and saying, I haven't seen one of those in a while. You know, I mean, uh, that, that's, uh, that seems like it could be the case so many times in our life. It's, it's nice whenever sometimes, whenever you can get out of the valley, right, and spend a little bit of time on the mountaintop. The view's nice from there, right? Uh, the weather's, fi- weather's fine on the top, right? It's nice to be able to look out and, and not have to be in the middle of a trial, But James knew a truth about these first century believers that is still true about us here 2,000 years later. One of the easiest times to become distracted away from God when life is going well. When life is good. When there aren't any problems. When the trials seem to be behind you. See, when you're going through things that are bigger than it's natural to turn your attention to the Lord. But when life is going well, and we think that we've got things under control, that's when we become distracted. It's when we become, listen, complacent. You've probably heard it said before, a rut is nothing more than a grave with the ends knocked out. And for many Christians, that's where we live. In the rut. In the complacency. And when you're in that place, that's when the walls come down. That's when we stop living intentionally for Christ. We live in the easiest time and place in history to be a Christian. You understand that? There is no easy, I, I'm convinced, there is no easier place to be a Christian in the United States of America, but don't miss it, in Whitehall, Montana, okay? I'm just telling you, listen, we could be, we could, listen, you could live in Seattle, Washington. Oh, man, I'm telling you, you could be over in California right now. Oh, man, God has been so good to you that he let you be in Montana. I mean, I don't think there's an easier place in the world to be a Christian. I mean, we're all out here. I mean, everybody's carrying, I mean, like, everybody in this room is probably packing. I mean, it's just that's the way it is. I mean, I mean, like, everybody, I mean, we're like, yeah, my, my rights, you know, that's, that's what it is, you know, and I mean, like, and everybody's like, yeah, you're right, you know, we're all on the same page, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a few, uh, you know, kooks out there, but anyway, uh, you know, but no, I'm mean, just kidding, I'm just, if you're one of the kooks, I didn't mean to offend you, okay, if you got offended, you're probably going to have a hard time here, okay, but no, listen, hey, listen we, we live in a place where it's easy, it's easy to be a Christian, it's not hard, we don't have to, we don't, I mean, like, it just is, there's never been a time in history where it's easier to follow Christ. There's truly no excuse. Listen, there is no excuse that every Christian shouldn't be a theologian of the Bible. You get that? I mean, think about that for a second. That there have never been a time in history where resources to study the Scripture were, were not closer at our fingertips. Do you understand? I have apps on my phone that, that go deeper into scriptural Bible studies than what many people, most people, have had throughout the course of history. And many of them are free. <laughs> Because I'm a Baptist. (laughs) You don't have to be a Greek scholar. You don't have to be a Hebrew scholar. There are apps that will explain everything to you. It's so easy to know Christ and his word on a deep level today. But how many Christians do you know that you would consider a scholar of the Bible? Oh, this is going to hurt. How many Christians in this church are scholars of the Bible. Kyle, you're getting a little too close to home here. (laughs) 
and it's all at our fingertips. You know why we don't study the Bible like we should? Because life's too easy. It's not hard. Y'all get around to it. You're not afraid that you may not have another chance to read the Bible. You're not like sneaking in some deep, dark corner of your house and pulling out a couple of pages of the Bible and memorizing everywhere on that page because you're afraid that somebody could come in and could take those pages that you have. Listen, we've said it before. Do you understand that this book of the Bible, this page that we're looking at right now, somebody gave their life for it. And this page right here, somebody gave their life for it. And we treat it so flippantly. It's not a big deal. How many Christians in the church are truly hungering and thirsting after Christ's likeness and his righteousness? Because we live in a day that is so easy to be a Christian and it costs us nothing. And our biggest struggle in the Christian life is choosing if we're going to go to church on Sunday morning. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? We get up and we're like, man, it's kind of hot today. <laughs> Pastor's probably not even going to turn the air conditioner on. <laughs> Somebody, I guarantee you, if I went around this room and was like, how many of you are cold? There'd be a bunch of you like, I wish you'd turn the heat on. All right, yeah, thanks, Anna. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, uh, you know, I wish you'd turn the heat on, Pastor. Some in this room are like, I am cooking. Like, I'm cooking, all right? I'm cooking. I wish you'd turn the AC on. You can't make anybody happy. And people are like, well, I'm not going to church because you don't turn the AC on. You know? it's just, I mean, that's the world. We have it so easy. Because when something doesn't cost you anything, it comes easy to take it for granted. Now listen, friend. Convinced that the greatest danger, the greatest danger for Whitehall Baptist Church going forward is not the persecution from the outside world. It's not the LGBTQ plus minus divided by apostrophe. You know, it's, it's not the, the agenda that, that's going on, the tax on religious liberty. That's, that's not the, the danger. It's not the person in the White House. It's not some religion down the street. No. The biggest danger to Whitehall Baptist Church from going forward for the Lord will be the complacency of the members that make up this church. Being lulled to sleep by the lack of difficulty to follow, follow Christ. Never facing the need to choose to follow God. Because it's just easy. Just going through the motions week in, week out. Showing up at church on Sunday, going to your seat. I mean, listen, one of the things I, I told the church, uh, told, told the Sunday school this morning, I said, listen, as soon as people start getting comfortable, you know what I love to do? Change everything. I mean, it's just the way that it is. I mean, next week, don't be surprised you come in here and all the seats are moved around. I'm just telling you. I mean, I just, I mean, like, if anybody's like, well, that's my seat, I'm like, well, we're, we're, we will move those seats and get rid of them. All right, we will not have seats in that spot. Uh, listen, uh, you probably came in this morning. There's some that came in and you're like, what are all these people doing here? I don't have a spot to sit. <laughs> I hope you feel uncomfortable. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, listen, listen, some of you, I know some of you in the back are sitting in the folding chairs and you're like, I am uncomfortable right now. I get it. All right. Listen, I, I'm just telling you, I, I, I'm afraid. You know what my fear is? God, don't let me get too comfortable. 
Don't let me get too complacent. Because it's, it's so easy to go through the motions and do all the stuff that, that I'm afraid that I'll just take it for granted and we'll just show up every Sunday and it's just another Sunday and another Sunday and another Sunday and nothing ever changes. Oh, God, help us. Don't let us be like that. May we constantly be growing and when you're growing, things hurt. When you lift weights, I know you're looking at me and you're like, Kyle, you don't know anything about this. I know, all right, but listen, I, I, I've done this before. When you lift weights, what happens? Muscles tear, muscles hurt. The next day you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm so sore. What's happening? Your muscles are growing. They're expanding. They're strengthening. Let's, let's say something a little more common to us, all right? Maybe you're standing there at the edge of the, futon, or the, at the edge of the buffet line, and you're standing there, and you're like, man, I think I'll have another plate. This is my fourth plate of food. And, and your stomach's expanding, right? You know, and, and, what and there's pain, right? You know, oh, man, I ate too much, right? You know, what's happening? You're growing, all right, my kids. Jace, today's his eighth birthday, and if you ask him, you say, yeah, I'm, I'm growing. I'm getting bigger. This morning I went in, I was like, man, Jace, you're getting bigger. And he could have looked at me and said, Daddy, so are you. You know, I mean, that's the way, that's the way that it is. It is, right? I mean, that's the way that our lives are. We've been lulled to sleep, going through the motions. To live in the merry, encouraged spot of life and never do the final part of verse number 13. You understand living in that part of life is not the, not the bad part, okay? Uh, be, living in the blessed part of life, living on the mountain, that's not a bad thing. It's good whenever we're able to say, I can, just, I can just breathe for a second. Praise God for those times. But listen, that's not the problem. The problem is the last part of that verse. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? What is he supposed to do? Let him sing psalms. Sing psalms. The idea of singing psalms is to praise God. To praise God. James is reminding these believers that it isn't bad to have merry times of life. But when those times of life come, we should choose to praise Him. It's so easy to turn from God, to turn to God when things are bad. But when life is easy, things are going well, we must choose to be intentional about it and turn our attention to God and to praise Him. Yes, God does want to hear your voice when the waves are crashing around you. Yes, He does. But listen, friend, He also wants to hear your voice when life is merry and you're encouraged. And life is going well. Psalm 107, verse number 2, he says this, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. God says, listen, if you know Jesus Christ, you've got so much to praise Him and thank Him for. And friend, if you are not here today, today would be a great day to get that nailed down. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Kyle, you're saying a lot of stuff, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, you I'm, I'm just kind of tuning you out, okay? Listen, if you've got a hearing end, turn it up right now, okay? If you've missed every part of this service, don't miss this, this part. Listen, friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't know you're going to spend eternity in heaven, one day the Bible tells us this is appointed unto man once to die. Every one of us are going to meet that appointment. You won't be late. You won't be early. You'll be right on time. I know you say, I'm never, I'm never make it to on time for anything. You'll be right on time for that one. Pointing to man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. Which judgment will you be at? The Bible tells us if you know Christ as your Savior, you'll be at the judgment seat of Christ, where you're going to receive crowns for the works that you did on this earth, and then you're going to be able to cast them at Jesus' feet, say, worthy is the Lamb that was slain for me. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior... The Bible says there's another judgment, the great white throne judgment. 
where Jesus will look at you and will say, based upon your works, it's interesting because everybody that doesn't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to get to heaven based on your works. Kyle, what are you talking about? I'm saying, what are works? Works are like things that we can do to get there. Kyle, I'm just, you know what? You talked about praying. I'm going to pray. I think I'll do that. Reading my Bible, okay, yeah, 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 I, I can do that. I'll, I'll read my Bible. That's a good idea. I'll, I'll, start, I'll start reading. My, I've never done it before. I'll start reading my Bible. That's great. That's great. Uh, you know what I think I'm going to do to get to heaven? I think I'm going to go get baptized. You know, I mean, I mean, whenever I was a kid, we were in the swimming pool with, the, with all my cousins and stuff, and somebody dunked me, and I think that's probably good enough, but if it's not, you know, I can go do that thing in the church, whatever. You know, I'll get, I'll get baptized. That'll be good enough. You know what I think I'll do, Kyle? I, I think at the end of the service, if you could just put an offering plate back there, I'll put some money in the offering plate, and that'll, that'll probably be good if I, could, if I could just do that. You know what I'll do, Kyle? I'm going to come to you after the service. I'm going to tell you about all the bad things that I have done. Friend, please do not do that, okay? I don't have time, all right? It's just, you know, I, that, that's not where it is, okay? And it's not in the Bible anywhere, and, I, and it's just not something that we need to do. And I mean, like, you can come up with any number of things that you think that you could do to get to heaven. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to help people, uh, you know, I'm going to help uh, people carry groceries out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to live a, a good life. I'm going to do all these things, and then God will look at me and say, okay, you've done enough. You can enter into heaven. Here's the problem. The Bible says it's not of work lest any man should boast if it was by what you and I could do we'd get to heaven one day we'd buddy up next to each other and we say listen how'd you get here <laughs> that's what we do well you know I, I was I was a good person I gave a lot of money to the church I gave millions of dollars so oh, you did oh I was I was a preacher so um I didn't give any money you know I mean like that's uh, you know that was, that's that's what we would do the Bible tells us that, that if, it was, if it was by our works, then, then God would be indebted to us. That's what Romans 4.4 4 says. God, because of what I did, you owe me eternal life. And God's looking there going, I don't owe you anything. And the next verse in Romans 4.5 says, but to him that believeth not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, says his faith is counted for righteousness. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, came and died on the cross. Why did he die on the cross? Because you are a sinner. Because I am a sinner. And somebody's got to pay for that sin. The Bible says the wage of sin is death, separation from God for all of eternity. And listen, friend, nobody wants that. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go spend eternity in a lake of fire. But everybody's trying to do it on their own. And God says, you can't do it. There's no way. It's impossible. You would have to be equivalent to the glory of God. What's the glory of God? Perfect holiness. Never sinning. That's what you'd have to do to get to heaven. Here's the problem. Everybody in this room has sinned. If you've ever breathed a breath, you have sinned, okay? The Bible tells us that we are all sinners. We've come short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ, because he loved us so much, he commendeth, he demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he died for you. And so what do you do? How do you receive the gift of God that's eternal life through Jesus Christ? How do you do it? The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, he says, thou shalt be saved. You see, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, it was different from anybody else. Why? Because he was the perfect sacrifice. And his payment for your sin was, was complete. It was enough. He, the wage of sin was death. Jesus died for you.
If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you say, Kyle, what do I have to do? Do I have to sign something? I mean, like, this sounds good. I want to go to heaven, you know, all these different things. What do I have to do? Do I have to, do I have to come and talk to you or something like that? Listen, friend, I'd love for you to come and talk to me, but, but you can do it right where you're seated. You can pray and ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins. Not some magical thing. You know, it's not like we're going to sprinkle some pixie dust on you or anything like that. I mean, like, you don't get this warm, fuzzy feeling or something. I mean, maybe you will. I don't know. But uh, in that moment, what do you do? Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I recognize that I am a sinner that I can't do it on my own, and God, I know that you died for me, and I accept your gift of eternal life. Will you forgive me for my sins? You say, Kyle, that seems too easy. It does. But here's the thing. We have a gr- religion. Religion, the best thing that religion, is that, uh, the best thing that, that, that religion does is, is take something simple and complicate it. We're not talking about religion this morning. We're talking about a relationship with the Lord. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do that today. And when you do that, friend, can I tell you, you talk about being merry. (laughs) You talk about being happy. You talk about being encouraged. That's where it's at. Knowing Christ as your Savior. In times of trial, God wants you to turn your attention to him in prayer. In times of triumph, God wants you to turn your attention to him in praise. Prayer and praise. You know what the common denominator in both of them? Both of them are turning our attention to God. God, it's all about you. You know, the Bible has a thing or two to say about praise. Our praise to God. Let me share a couple of verses with you, can I? Psalm chapter number 34, verse number 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 106, verse number 1. Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 111, verse number 1. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in his congregation. Psalm 112, verse number 1. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Psalm 113, verse number one. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 135, verse number one. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise ye, uh, praise him. O ye servants of the Lord. Are you catching a theme here? If you haven't, let me give you another one, okay? Psalm 146, verse number one. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 147, verse number one. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto God, for it is pleasant, and praise is his praise, and praise is come. Psalm 148, verse number one. Praise ye the Lord. Lord, praise you the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Psalm 149, verse number one. Praise you the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And it and his praise in the congregation of the saints. Psalm 150, verse number one. I praise you the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. If you've missed it so far, let me give you one more. Psalm 150, verse number six. Let everything that hath praise, uh, that hath breath, praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. When is the last time that you came to the Lord not to ask him for something, but just to praise him for who he is and what he has done? Friend, don't just turn to God in your bad times, but spend your life in his presence in the good times as well. Within the first six months of becoming pastor here at Whitehall Baptist Church, I had to lead three funerals. Pastor Terman, and the entire time he was here, 13 years, I think he had to do one. I couldn't believe it. As soon as he left, everybody was, it was just happening. I mean, it was awful. One for a teenage girl, one for a man in his 30s who took his own life, and one for a man that had finished his course well for the Lord and been faithful to the Lord here in the church for years. I was a new pastor with minimal experience. These waves of challenges that came. 
I don't know if you remember, I became pastor in 2019. We had this great plan, all right? 2020 came around. We had the theme, 2020 vision, printed off calendars, all the things we were going to do. And this little thing happened in 2020. I don't know if you remember it or not. Yeah. The world shut down. Believe it or not, in Bible college, they didn't teach you what to do in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Through those trials, those challenges, God led me on my knees before him, begging him for his help. Because there were so many times I had no idea what to do. God, what do I do in this situation? God, what do I do? How do I give people hope? God, I don't know what to do here. You know, I look back and I'm thankful for the trials because they pointed me to Christ. But that wasn't the only thing that happened. There's been a lot of blessings as well. Came the pastor... We owed $35,000 from a $70,000 loan that our church had taken out to build this building that we get to sit in right here. From 2009 to 2019, we had paid off $35,000. My prayer was insane. That's what it was, okay? My prayer was, God, in two years, would you pay off the remaining $35,000? It had taken us 10 years to pay off the first. We were going through a transition. We were going to be in the middle of COVID that I had no idea about. I I didn't know it. We were going to have a total transfer of membership. Everybody that was here was going to be gone. Everybody that that came in was going to be new. That was going to happen. I mean, we literally, this morning, we have like one family that's here that that was members whenever I became the pastor. I know we had a couple other that were here as well, but, but that was all that we had. I mean, like it was totally a turnover. And I said, God, I want to see you do the impossible. Pay off the remaining $35,000 in two years. I don't think I told anybody because if I had, they'd have said, Kyle, you're insane. I mean, that's what they would have said. I'll never forget, 18 months later, when we received the letter from the bank stating the remaining balance had been paid in full. It was a time of rejoicing. Time of praise to God. As we come to this verse in James 5.13, we reflect back on what God has done in the last 24 years, the past four years. There's an overwhelming emphasis that we can take away from this verse. verse. Whether through trials or triumphs, our focus and our attention should be on the Lord. Oh, listen, every year we have a new theme that we put up there, but can I tell you what the theme of our church should be? Prayer and praise. Because both are completely focused on God. No matter the circumstances, our attention should always be turned to God. When the church makes the pastor the hero, listen, friend, it's headed for complacency. When the church makes the building the hero, it's headed for complacency. When the church makes what happened in the past the hero, it's headed for complacency. The only way to continue to go forward in victory for the Lord and make the next 24 years even better than the first 24 is to keep our attention on the Lord. And this morning, if it's been a while since you found your way to your knees before God in prayer, start with your attention directed at Him. Spend time with Him. And if you've been enjoying the blessing of God without giving Him praise, it's time to start today. You see, our kids in this church that we had come up here and say their verses and all those things, you know what they need to see? 
They need to see some mommies, some daddies, some aunt and uncles, some adopted aunt and uncles, some grandparents. They need to see a church full of adults that aren't just consistent. Yes, that's part of it, but can I tell you, they need to see a church full of adults that know how to pray and know how to praise. Because if we don't know how to pray and we don't know how to praise, one of these days they're going to get up and they're going to walk out those doors and they're never going to come back in again. And it's that serious. So this morning, would you join me as we ask God, Lord, thank you for what you've done. But God, I'm asking you to do greater things than these. And God, as you do it, I'm going to praise you for it. I hope that'll be your heart this morning. I hope in your family you'll lead them in prayer and in praise. Because that's the core, that's the root. If we're going to see God do great things in the days ahead. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and the truths that we find in it. I know, God, this was a simple, simple verse. But God, the power that's found in it is, is overwhelming. And I ask, Lord, this morning, you minister to hearts like only you can. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. I just want to ask one, just two quick questions here this morning. And I want you to answer them in your heart, okay? If you're here this morning, you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then friend, how are you, how's your prayer life and how is your praise life? How is your attention to God? So many times we can be distracted by all the other things going on in our life, whether it be trials or victories, we can get so distracted and turn our attention away from God. How's your praise? How's your prayers? This morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, oh, friend, today's the day.